Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello imaginative people, I'm Anna Tizard and this is episode 29 of Brainstorium and it's the second in my Alice in Wonderland mini-series. Now for those who are subscribed to the show, you'll notice that this has arrived a little late and apologies as well if my voice is still a little nasal. I'm at the tail end of a really bad bout of laryngitis which I was mostly over about a week ago but it's taking a bit longer for my voice to return to normal. Anyway, the important thing is, I'm here, you're here, we're ready to be inspired. And today, we are getting some advice from the caterpillar in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. In fact, the chapter with the caterpillar in it is actually called Advice from a Caterpillar. So this is what we must do. We must take a hint. Take the cue from Lewis Carroll and hear what this caterpillar has to say. But as this strange blue creature perches on the mushroom, staring at us through a cloud of smoke, what writing tips and ideas can we possibly glean from him? Brace yourself for some deep explorations of storytelling craft that I hope will inspire us today. Chapter 5 in Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland begins. The caterpillar and Alice looked at each other for some time in silence. At last, the caterpillar took the hookah out of its mouth and addressed her in a languid, sleepy voice. Who are you? I find it curious that before he asks that famous question, which he asks again quite a few times, The first thing we're told about this caterpillar is that he is languid and sleepy. Why is this? I think it means the caterpillar is very close to the essence of Wonderland, the deep stirrings of the unconscious mind. After all, Alice only got there by falling asleep, by falling and falling asleep. The caterpillar isn't manic like the white rabbit, He's not running around, he has no deadlines. He has no interest in the busy, frantic business of the real conscious world upstairs, needing to do this, wanting to achieve that. He is still, he he smokes and he contemplates. He is close to the state of sleep and therefore close to dreams. And straight away, he asks the deepest question that can be asked of Alice. Who are you? Alice struggles to answer, and when pushed to explain why she finds it so difficult, she says, being so many different sizes in a a day is very confusing. 
to which the caterpillar says, it isn't. So we're reminded that caterpillars go through a massive change in size and shape, metamorphosis into a butterfly. But this change will happen without need of any real concerted effort on the caterpillar's part. No amount of rushing around or trying to get things done or get to places will hurry up or prevent this natural process of change. The caterpillar is being, and he puts the question of being to Alice, demanding to know who she is. I often think that being is the ultimate puzzle or problem that we're trying to solve when we write a story. This may only be on a fairly superficial level, who is the main character and what do they want, or it can go deeper than that. You might not know much about who the protagonist is at the beginning of your writing process, and I often don't when I first start brainstorming a story. I often imagine a situation first or a scene. But after that first brainstorm, who the main character is, what they want, what they need, or what they're frightened of, is of greater importance the longer the story is going to be. And after an, an initial splurge of situational ideas, unless you're writing the shortest of flash fictions or a poem, if we are to truly engage our readers emotionally and psychologically, we must return to the question of the protagonist and ask them, who are you? I think the best stories have that question at their heart and are shaped by it. How do events in the story situation threaten who they are, what they love, or create obstacles to what they need, or force them to run from what they fear most? To get to these ideas and really embed them in the character and our feeling of wanting the best for them, rooting for them as the story unfolds, we must work out who they really are. And in longer stories, who they are will often change over the course of the plot. In a novel, there will usually be a crux point where they will question what they believe in, the choices they've made, and the very foundations of who they are as a person, who they've been up to that point, versus who they might yet choose to become in light of the obstacles or tragedy that's looming over them. As in real life, who are you is not an easy question to answer. It's not straightforward. But I think that's part of what stories are for at an elemental level, to help us contemplate at a slight distance, a more comfortable distance, the questions that are hard to answer in real life and yet are fundamental to our experience of it. As a discovery writer, I can honestly say I don't often know in advance what I think about the deeper themes that I end up writing about. These themes just tend to emerge of their own accord and often take me by surprise. I'm not alone in this. There are other authors who experience this too. Joanna Penn, for example, who writes thrillers as J.F. Penn, says she writes to find out what she thinks. 
Perhaps this is the biggest lure of writing for me, the entry into a space that I can't define until I'm there, until I hang up my self-consciousness at the door and let myself fall into a state of playfulness and concentration. We read and write for escapism, it's true. But if we want to invoke real emotion in our readers, we must, to some extent, draw upon our own. Draw upon our own, who are you? Fantasies are made all the more urgent and relatable when they become imbued with some of this emotional weight. The deeper you dig, the scarier it can be. So don't dig too far without help and keep a balance. The balance is often found in remembering that what you write is fiction. It's fantasy. You don't need to splurge your whole self and all your hang-ups and fears on the page. In fact, it's generally preferable if you don't overshare. It's not just about protecting yourself psychologically from having your deepest thoughts out there. A story itself is a kind of question, a thought experiment made up of a handful of what-ifs. You can keep a better critical distance and stay focused on crafting an exciting plot when you reshape and adapt your real emotions to suit the story and the protagonist so that no one will really know for sure what exactly you've drawn from your own experience. So don't just write a story based on pure imagination or on the characters the like of which you've seen or read before. That way lies many cliches, tropes we've seen too many times. Draw on an aspect of your own psychology that you're curious about and blend it with other traits that aren't your own to create an unreal character who's truly relatable. Even if asking, who are you, brings us only doubt and uncertainty, these are tensions and frustrations that can give shape to a story. Begin writing and see where it takes you. Imagine your unconscious mind is like a well, and the question is a stone thrown into it. It may only echo back to you emptily from the darkness, but the distortions of sound might be enough to get you in the mood to write something truly transformative. If, after the first flurry of ideas and images, we ask, who is the protagonist really? What do I know of those kinds of fears and hopes and dreams? What might you write to answer that echo? And now, before we plunge into a new round of story brainstorms, let me share with you another publishing opportunity I came across recently. Goat Shed Press seeks short stories, flash fiction, poetry and creative non-fiction, and they pay. In 2023, they're also looking to publish longer works such as novels, novellas, graphic novels and short story collections, and they're looking at visual arts as well. To have a look at their guidelines, go to goatshedpress.co.uk. 
That's goatsheddpress.co.uk. As ever, always check the terms and conditions of publishing before you submit to any publisher. I couldn't see their T's and C's on their site, but I'm presuming that if you fill in the contact form and ask, they'll send those on. Always check and weigh your options before you submit anywhere. Right. As the caterpillar's eyes pin us through rings of blue smoke reverberating like echoes, it is time for us to explore some new story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. And so on to the Socks of Destiny. That's right, and regular listeners will know that Exquisite Corpse works by mixing words together into a randomised sentence that goes describing word noun, action, describing word noun. And of course I get my words and phrases from the lovely likes of you through my play page at anatizard.com. My randomising tools come in the form of three socks. One, t- one sock for each type of word entry. So let's see what our first describing word is going to be. This is from, aha, Andy Burrows. Funnily enough, Andy Burrows was one of the very first uh, players of Exquisite Corpse with me uh, in, um, when I was working in a phone job. Um, and uh, we went to the pub afterwards, a whole load of us uh, colleagues working together and we played Exquisite Corpse in the pub after work and it was very funny. That was when I first discovered the game. If you want to know a bit more, then read the introduction in The Empty Danger, my first book. Right, after that, let's see what the actual word is before I start gabbling. Mmm, sockless. Okay, this is interesting. Someone or something that lacks socks. The next word is from Francis S. Posey. Halfling. Interesting. Because if you're going with the uh, the Tolkien version of a halfling, which is the, probably the most well-known They have big hairy feet and they don't tend to wear socks or shoes. Very interesting. I can sense the synchronicities already piling up. So what is the action going to be? This is from Mariah. (laughs) Sang a song about. Hmm. Okay. I'm feeling very sort of uh, traditional um, fairy tale, sort of high fantasy type stuff going on. So our next word, our describing word is from Margaret Homersham. (laughs) Voracious. Okay, let's get our final word for this exquisite corpse and we'll put the sentence together. This is again from Andy Burroughs. God. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, right. Let's have a look at the whole exquisite corpse. So we have the sockless halfling 
sang a song about the voracious God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, interesting. Voracious for what, I wonder? Could it be socks? <laughs> if we were treating this as a puzzle, which often I do, um, that's one way of, of solving the puzzle of this exquisite cause, because you've got to ask the question, why is the, the socklessness of the halfling pointed out? Because, um, of course, there is another meaning to halfling. I do look these words up sometimes, just even if I know what they mean, just to, in case there's a second meaning that I've forgotten or just didn't know about. And of course, a halfling can be, um, in fantasy, it can be an offspring of a human plus another sort of fantasy species, like, you know, an elf or something like that. So it's not necessarily um, a hobbit. And so the socklessness may have more significance than it would for a hairy-footed hobbit, shall we say. Hmm. In any case, I think it might be time for some green tea to kind of help the creative juices flow. So I'm just going to give this a stir. And let's see if that helps my brain at all. Okay. Hmm. So a song can itself be a story set to music. Um, if we're if we're sort of thinking back to kind of folklore, um, and we're going along the lines of traditional fantasy, yes, a, a half elf may sing a song that tells a history. Um, I'm imagining a pub where you might have an open mic night or maybe um, this half-elf has been invited, especially singing a song about a voracious god. It might be something that's completely made up or it might be an actual piece of history in that world. What's the significance that they sing it without any socks on? Or shoes, presumably. Oh, maybe this is a way of tapping into the energy of the place. A psychic half-elf who can sense the past of a place by just taking their shoes and socks off and placing them on the floor. Something happens, the vibrations come up from the floor. Or maybe... It's a prophecy. No crystal ball for this half-elf. No tarot cards or trying to contact the dead. The world of the living. The world of the flagstones beneath their feet. Or the rug or the carpet. Is enough to give them a connection to a deeper truth of that place. And so the song they sing is a warning. I imagine some of the audience are very much interested on the edge of their seats, keen to hear what this um, prophet is going to, I was going to say, say about their future, but 
they're going to sing it instead. Maybe they've commissioned him to turn up and do this. They've sensed something isn't quite right. Is there a war coming or are these just rumours? And of course there's going to be others who laugh at the half-elf and those who believe in these uh, silly tales. Hmm, it does feel very traditional fantasy, but I, and, and I do, I, I quite like this. I quite like this, but I think it is time for our second exquisite corpse. So let's see what we have. This is from Anonymous, Fateful. Hmm, that feels like quite a, a heavy word, but it could mean lots of different things. Second word is from, if I can disentangle them from my hand. This is from, <laughs> on Twitter, Captain Random 10 I love that name. Winged horse. Ooh, it's an interesting one. Let's try an action. This is from Paul Benfield. Sailed along the river to find. Hmm. Uh, let's try another describing word. This is from Anonymous, Sunny. And finally, let's see, we have this is from Laurie Alden Haluta, Russian blue cat. <laughs> okay, right, I'm gonna put the whole thing together and read that out to you. Okay, so we have, and yes, I did pause to write that down because that always helps. The fateful winged horse sailed along the river to find the sunny Russian blue cat. Hmm, this is a slightly difficult one. I think I'm going to need some more green tea. See if that helps. Let's see. My first question, and of course you've, you've got to start with questions, haven't you? That's the way to pick this all apart. My first question has got to be, why is a winged horse sailing along a river? It's a winged horse. It has wings. Why isn't it flying? Has it hurt its wings? Now there's a a story wrapped up in that. How did it hurt its wings? Was it attacked? Um, did it attack someone or something else? Um, hmm. Has it got sick or is it just old? Or is it completely fine and it's using its wings as a sail? But why would it do that? Maybe if the skies are being watched, it needs to go somewhere in secret. No one will be watching the rivers for a winged horse. But people with boats would definitely see it. Unless 
it has befriended or or paid someone who owns a boat and is prepared is prepared to transport them somewhere. Hmm. And the sunny Russian blue cat. What is that kind of mystical being or a cat with a sunny disposition? Or does the sun signify this issue with the skies being watched? Perhaps it affects both of these characters. Maybe if the winged horse has to travel along the river, the blue sun cat also has to lie low. Hmm. What if what if the cat is only visible when the sun comes out from behind the clouds? I think I'm thinking about the Cheshire cat. I've got Alice in Wonderland on my mind. Um, you know, a character who disappears very easily. I do like that idea of appearing and disappearing, either at will or according to certain weather conditions. There's an interesting idea to mess around with. This is a very weird, exquisite corpse. How can we make it less weird, more accessible? So we have, we have the theme of a secret journey. Someone who's in hiding and has to travel with the help of a stranger on a boat. Where are they going? Are they running away from a situation or a person? Or are they trying to get to someone or a bit of both? So it might not just be about their safety. It might be trying to get to someone who can advise them on their next step in the journey. I like this idea. It's quite a general story idea, but I like it. I can't think that I've ever actually written anything along those lines. So, hmm, maybe this is something for me to try or for you to try. Remember, always get in touch if you find you're inspired by something. Um, just let me know. Tell me what's going on. Right. I think it's time for our third and final exquisite corpse of the day. What have we got here? Aha, this is from me. Immortal. Okay, let's grab a noun. This is from, it's a Twitter ID, I'm Mr. Eric. He's a poet, you know. Pink grasshopper. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Let's grab an action. This is from Wicked Words underscore Kate. <laughs> Sued for their brand name. <laughs> okay. What's next? This is from Paul Benfield again. Brazen. Okay. And then last but not least. This is from, I can undo it. This is a Twitter ID called Weird Micro. They do um, writing prompts. <laughs> Giant. Ooh. 
Okay. <laughs> so we have the immortal pink grasshopper sued for their brand name, the brazen giant. Of course we do. Brazen giant. This is funny, actually, because um, if you think about it, we've just had an exquisite corpse with um, creatures being very secretive, you know, fantasy creatures, um, keeping themselves to themselves, worried about being watched or seen um, by greater powers. And this giant is just brazen. He's just all out there. Or she. Um... I have to say, when I picked up, when I first scribbled down um, Pink Grasshopper from I, Mr. Eric, um, I did, I looked that up, I had to look that up because I thought, has he just cheated by adding um, an adjective to a noun go? Okay, because grasshopper is a noun on, on its own. Pink is a describing word. Has he cheated? No, he hasn't. I looked it up and found something I did not know before, which is that a pink grasshopper is a specific species where they have a genetic mutation to make them that color. Um, and all I could find really, well, all I can remember of what I found out was that, um, yeah, they sort of, um, they tend to not live very long because they get picked off by other animals because they stand out. Um, they're no longer camouflaged by the grass and leaves and things like that. Uh, so it's a little bit of a malfunctioning mutation there, which is peculiar if you think about it, because in this exquisite corpse, we have the immortal pink grasshopper. So the two things are kind of opposite. Something that lives forever is completely immune to death versus a pink grasshopper whose genetic mutation makes him very vulnerable um, to dying early. So what is this all about? We have a strange juxtaposition here. The immortal pink grasshopper. Ooh, maybe that's the only way that pink grasshoppers can make their way in the world now is they're just, they're immortal as on the one hand, the genetic mutation makes them appear, um, well, makes them appear, makes other creatures see them like birds, or, you know, when they're looking for food um, and yet they are immortal. But then what happens? A bird eats one and then it stays alive in its stomach. Ooh, that could get kind of messy. Um, <laughs> Okay, let's move on. So, sued for their brand name, the Brazen Giant. Hmm, let's think about this. What if the Brazen Giant is a brand name? It's a kind of an odd one there. Or it's a giant corporation, a huge conglomerate but they've nicked the idea for their brand name, whatever that actually is, from an immortal pink grasshopper? What is an immortal pink grasshopper though? A contradiction in terms. Maybe we should go with that metaphor. Someone who has achieved immortality or 
found a way to become immortal, even if you're hurt or injured or eaten. That is a really weird, uncomfortable idea. Or a genetic mutation that causes immortality as a side effect? I imagine a battle between two companies, two different approaches to anti-aging or trying to achieve longevity, whether it's through, I don't know, vitamin pills or some kind of treatment. Or perhaps they're uncomfortably similar, which is why one of them is suing the other. What if one of them's selling fakes? What if they both suspect each other of selling fake treatments, things that don't actually work? Until someone, the CEO of one of them, has a really bad accident that leaves his body mangled. And yet there he is, sitting up in a hospital bed, giving an interview on the news. At last, there's proof that everyone can see that this company was not faking it. Ooh, what a weird idea. And yet it's a timeless theme um, and continues to be a modern obsession, anti-aging, trying to hold back the years and see if we can extend life artificially or, or otherwise. So let's have a look at the ideas that have come up today. A psychic or prophetic halfling singing the future or the past in a pub. Somebody on the run, on a boat, hiding from the powers that be to get to a wise person or a creature for advice. Maybe a creature that can disappear at will or according to the weather. And two companies doing battle over the possible answer to death itself. They discover the true price of immortality, which is uglier than anyone could have predicted. Well, I hope you enjoyed the story brainstorms today and that you've got some inspiration from the show, whether that's the ideas from Wonderland or from the Exquisite Corpse gameplay. Please subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on what's coming next in the Wonderland series. We'll be hearing from the Cheshire Cat and the Mad Hatter too at some point. Until next time, go forth and be inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.